What's up, everybody? Welcome back to our 10th episode of the Inside Groove podcast. We've made it a decade already, if you're counting every episode for one year. So I'd say that that's a pretty good accomplishment, Dustin. Should we welcome Dustin Tanner onto the show, as always? Should we welcome me onto the show, or should we just like have me sit here in the silence? I can only sit here in the silence on a podcast, Nick. That, that could be a that could be a bit we start doing where I don't, uh, where I'm always here even if I'm not here, right? Just sit in the shadows. Um, yeah, happy to be here, like always. I feel like we should get a little more credit than doing ten episodes because I feel like we've done a bunch of other episodes of different mediums. So you know, we've been doing this for a couple of years now, so it's not like this is the tenth podcast we've ever recorded. Well, that's true. I do have the Milestone Award hanging up on my wall here in my bedroom uh, from uh, Northwest Access TV for us doing 25 episodes. So that was on TV, but I think we did more than 25. I think we did like closer to like 60. Yeah. Over the course of of, like three-ish years. But anyway, we're a podcast now, and this is episode 10 of the podcast. And the podcast, if you were wondering, if you're regular, you probably know by now that the podcast is presented by Raised Dyes and Tubing, and we are thankful for them being our sponsors. But Dustin, we have quite a bit to talk about. It was Me a too. it was a pretty wild Thursday night at Thunder Road, um, and you know, I'm kind of at the point where. At the beginning of the year, when most of the races were like on the weekend, like Tuesday was a great night to record the podcast because it kind of gave us a day and a half to digest everything, and then we would come back Tuesday and, and hash it all out. But now with most of the stuff happening on Thursday night, it's like we have to wait like a week to talk about it. And, you know, Thursday night, leaving the racetrack, all I wanted to do was just sit down and talk about how damn good Jason Corliss is at racing a race car. Uh, 17th to 1st in 44 laps. That's crazy stuff, man. I mean, I nothing like I've ever seen before. I'm sure it's happened before, but it doesn't happen often. And uh, the way Jason Corliss did it on Thursday night was uh, nothing short of incredible, if you ask me. Yeah, you know, there was a lot that went on Thursday night. I... So, you know, the backstory here is that for those who don't know, Nick, you were in the radio booth. So I was doing the thing that you would normally do where you would chase down the drivers. So I was kind of watching the race with a different perspective Thursday night, which is kind of weird to think. It's like, because normally when I'm at the track, um, <clears throat> sorry, I got some stuff in, a little phlegm in the throat, right? Perfect. Love it. Radio, radio medium. Um, so you know, normally when I go to the track, I maybe pick one division and it's going to be the scrap metals that I go and try to chase an interview down for. And then I try to get as many photos as I can. Um, But this last Thursday, and we'll talk about this more, you were on the radio. So we didn't really have any, we didn't have both of us there, even though you were there. So I was trying to chase down everything. And when you're trying to make notes to chase down everything else, the, the way you watch is the race is different. And it was just, just the way Corliss just dominated was I didn't get to see most of that race because I was chasing that interview. Um, but he just, it was just kind of amazing how he just, you know, I just felt like on like, like lap 30 when he kept getting up there, I was just like, he's just going to get up there. Like it just kind of, it's like a constant in life at this point. It's like, 
the points battle, he's like up <clears throat> at least like I have it on, on my screen actually here. He's like already run away with the points. Like unless something catastrophic happens, like he is 29 points up on P2. Like he's just doing amazing stuff. Like I don't know I don't know how you stop him. I don't know how I don't I don't see a scenario where Jason Corliss is in three P to be quite honest. Well, I mean and I hate to always take the stance of against Corliss in this podcast because that's I feel like over the course of these ten episodes I've been like, Okay, Dustin, you know, slow your horses. It's not over yet. Uh, you know, me and earlier I said, Oh well, you know, maybe they've uh they've had quite a run here maybe it's it's you know reached its peak and it's they're gonna start heading their way back down and the eps and flows are gonna suck them up and somebody else is gonna step up and and ride off with the championship this year um so far i've been very wrong but to also declare a championship over after three of 14 races um where it's you know 29 points is quite a quite a hill um but one malfunction, one bad race erases that. Um, Scott Dragon dropped, with his DQ, dropped about 50 points um, from being disqualified from second place on Thursday night. Um, you know, that hurt them, them in the championship, and we'll talk about that later. Probably ends their hopes at a championship at, at this point. 79 points is a lot to come out of no matter where you are in the season um 79 points is a whole different deal than 29 um so i am not gonna write off the field just yet uh i i don't think that at this point anybody is quite at the same level as jason corliss which is fine um but these guys it's 29 points and that's a lot they're going to be running out of time. The clock is ticking now for the rest of the field to make something happen. I don't think there's a clear favorite out of the rest of the field right now. Maybe if you wanted to go with the Trampus Demers. Um, but, I mean, Bobby Therrien and Scott Dragon are both, you know, Bobby's 75 points, Scott's 79 points back. That Those are tough holes to climb out of. Um, but I am certainly not calling this championship race uh, this early uh, because there are nine drivers within 55 points of jason corliss right now are eight drivers the top nine are all within 54 points of each other um and looking at the the amount of points that scott dragon lost just from the dq um that that tells me that this is still wide open um at this point would it take something like that an engine failure a dq um an accident for jason corliss to to give up the championship this year maybe um i'm not going to say 100 percent yes on that just yet uh but what we've seen through three races i, I think that uh that jason is in a is in really good shape um uh, but it is way 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 too early uh to be calling it when uh there's when there's still over 10 races to go on the schedule I really hope we do a supercut at the end of the year when Jason Corliss has won his third straight championship with you saying every week, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I 
I, <clears throat> the reason I believe, you know, I, and obviously it's not over anything can happen, but the reason I believe that the 66 team is just going to walk their way to a third straight championship is because I haven't seen any, the only person who I've seen who I think can beat him on speed alone would be Scott Dragon, maybe Tramps Demers. Like, I don't, I don't see anyone who can, you know, if they were equal, right, if the point standings were equal at this point, I would say, oh, you know, maybe it's wide open, but I just haven't seen, you know, second place in the points is Christopher Pelge of 195. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't have a win yet. He's got a couple top fives, and then you got Trampus back there. You know, Trampus, I think, has the speed. It's just that I I really think that's such a big, you know, I think Corliss has to have two bad races in a row, and I don't know of a time when I've seen the 66 team recently at least have two, three bad, like I, you know, they have to have a bad stretch. Like they have to have a two to three race bad stretch where it's, you know, even if he comes out this weekend and blows a mortar, right. It's, you know, w- what happens then, right. Unless if Christopher Pelkey comes out and wins, you know, then it's tight again. And then you have to have another bad week. Like I just, I don't. I well, think... if, if Corliss blows a motor this week, I mean, God forbid it, obviously, um, like we're not cheering for this stuff by any means, folks. So don't get that in. Don't get that impression. Um, I know Corliss's team listens to this podcast. Like, I know they listen to it. Like, so we're very, very much like I'm just saying, like, worst case scenario, you're tied or close to tied coming out of this weekend. Right. So it's like I feel like it's just I just I just don't. I don't know. It's the same thing, like watching Tom Brady win Super Bowls, right? Like you say to yourself, he can't do it. He's done. Right? He's done. He's done. And then he's tossing a Super Bowl trophy at a boat parade in Tampa Bay because apparently this dude who's sixty is winning Super Bowls still. Like so, <laughs> like I, I at this point, the level of dominance. And you open the show talking about it. Right. You opened the show mentioning how he went from 17th to the first and in our post-race interview with uh, Jason, which I had to do this week, which was really, again, felt weird um, doing the post-race interview, but you know, he was talking about, you know, some days you have luck and you know, if he's, if he's getting the lucky breaks too, like, I don't, I don't know, man. I feel like, I don't know. I, I feel like the battle is now for second place. I really do feel like, you know, I feel like, you know, watching NASCAR with Kyle Larson, right? Who finished second? That's your real winner, right? Like, you know, Formula One at the peak of Lewis Hamilton. You know, who finished second? That's your winner, right? Like, that's what I look at right now. I look at maybe somebody can catch him. Maybe this is going to go down as, like, the most freezing cold take I've ever had. But I I don't know, man. I, I really struggle to see a scenario where that 66 Vermont team does not win a third straight championship and you know he he's done it before he's done it before he's won you know he's won a bunch of the big events like i i just i and i'm not trying to you know blow smoke up their backsides right like these are accolades that this team has just kind of just earned like they earned the benefit of the you know until i see someone else's name on the trophy i'm gonna think jason corliss is winning the championship this year yeah and i mean that's fair um but, and I, I mean, I would tend to agree with you after the start that we've seen, Corliss is leaps and bounds ahead of everybody else. Um, but I am not going to discount the rest of the field after three races. I'm simply not going to do it. Um, you know, 29 points is, is a lot, but you can make that up in a race. Um, if, you know, Corliss has a bad night, finishes, 
15th, Pelkey goes out, wins, or finishes top three, Pelkey's got the points lead. Uh, it's as simple as that. Um, it does not take a lot. And I don't think these guys are really paying attention to the points right now either. I, I think that it is a situation where Corliss is out to an impressive advantage, and it's it, it's a notable advantage. That's why we're talking about the points after three races into the year is because Corliss is up by an impressive amount. Um, but, you know, we're also three races. We've got ten races to go still. Um, you know, there's there, there's so much that can happen between now and then that, uh, you know, saying that a 29-point cushion, uh, even for a guy like Jason Corliss, the way he went out and spanked the rest of the field on Thursday night, uh, is insurmountable. I just don't buy that. Um, and you know, I, I I'm not going to dis, I'm not going to, uh, to just put down the rest of the field and, and say that they're not going to make it happen. It very well, three, four weeks from now, mid mid season championship time. Um, you know, if we look out then and Corliss is up by 50, 60 points, which is kind of the pace that he's heading towards right now, then sure. At that point, we're saying, okay, you know, even if they just simply don't even show up for a race, they can still come out and be the points leader after tonight. You know, that's, that's when we can start to, uh, you know, say, all right, you know, we're looking at, at a third straight championship for Jason Corliss here. But I'm not doing it three weeks into the season when it's a 29-point advantage. Like I said, the advantage is impressive. It's notable, but it's not insurmountable. Uh, and so Chris Pelkey, Trampus Demers, Matt White, you know, like I said, there's eight guys within 54 points of Jason Corliss. Uh, you know, all of that uh, is, you know, if not one race, it's one race and then a slight second race um, to, to get to him. Um, so, you know, anything can happen. And I think, uh, especially at a track like Thunder Road, where there's so many competitive drivers, um, and anything can happen in one night, uh, you know, everything that we see there week in, week out is unpredictable. And that's why the fans keep coming back. And, uh, that's why I think, uh, this, 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 uh, championship chase as it starts to heat up, uh, in the, uh, in the coming weeks is going to be, uh, going to be exciting to watch. Um, uh, but yeah, no, uh, not looking at the points just looking at the race um jason corliss put on a show uh he was really he he got lucky he's and he'll admit he told us multiple times you know he did get lucky in this situation because um you know a bunch of guys it well it, it starts out it was a one lane racetrack the track really did not have more than one lane all night long um, but Corliss was able to make the outside work, and that was the difference. A bunch of guys got stuck behind Boomer Morris, who was uh, who had some sort of issue. He came in and pitted the car um, not long after uh, the, all of this happened, but Corliss was the first to jump to the outside, and Boomer Morris was running at maybe three-quarters speed on the inside, but nobody would, go, nobody would jump up to the outside because they were afraid that they were just going to get freight trained and sent to the back of that little mini pack there that was running, you know, I believe like fourth to twelfth and nobody was willing to do it. Corliss was at the end of that pack. He said, I've got nothing to lose here. I'm going to jump to the outside. All of a sudden, in three laps, he's gone from ninth to fourth, and it's a whole new race, and he's got a chance at winning it. The caution comes out at a timely uh, opportunity for Corliss uh, when uh, 
But when Scott Colburn spun out in turn three, um, the caution comes out, gives Corliss, bunches the field back up, gives Corliss a P4 starting spot. You know, he works his way around a couple guys and, and gets past Stephen Donahue. And then he set sail and they, there was nothing Brendan Moody could do uh, to, to hold off Corliss and, and get the win there. I mean, Corliss was just, they had that car hooked up um and Boy, it was a great car I, um, but they were lucky as well ben i was watching you know those last couple laps before he made that pass and i was thinking like is he gonna go through wide here because there was a nice you know there was a chance for corliss to really force the issue if he wanted to but you know the theme i realized thursday night was like while the top groove was not the most dominant groove all the races were won with top groove power it felt like the races were won with a move on the top groove right like the scrap metal feature was just a guy just going for it right just going for it and making it stick and it felt like the winning move was the top move wasn't where you know the top lane wasn't there until it was there and you didn't really know when to when to hit it and i think you know corliss will admit that he got lucky but it felt like you know multiple times that night you know a, a late a late caution would come out and then somebody, you know, who is stuck on the top lane has to send it because what are you going to do? And it would just work. It worked multiple times. So, you know, he, he really, it was really a testament to how patient he was too, because, you know, if I was stuck behind a couple of cars that I knew I was faster than, I, uh, you know, you really, you get a it you get a little impatient after, you know, five, six laps. And, you know, he stuck with it. He realized that, you know, he had a stronger car than the first two guys in front of him. And he just let that battle play out naturally. And then he just took advantage and he just drove away. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's what Jason Corliss has made his name off of. And it's being patient. Look back at the Memorial Day Classic. How did he win that race? He parked himself behind Scott Dragon for, uh, 15 20 laps let scott use up his tires and then just moved right by him and scott didn't have a chance uh, you know jason corliss uh, i'll always say the two defending champions right now jason corliss and jimmy hebert there are uh there there's a single thing about those drivers that makes them so much better than the rest and that is and that is that they are able to um, to save tires and bide their time and be patient more and better than anyone else uh, that runs an American Canadian Tour late model. They're simply the Hebert and Corliss are simply the best two drivers at that, and they um, they've won so many races off of it. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, next time you're at an ACT race and Jimmy Hebert's running in the top five, watch that man. You know make be patient with that car and hold on and hold on not make the aggressive moves that he that you know you'd expect out of out of a less experienced driver but just wait it out let the guy in front of you use up his tires and you know then make the move and that's exactly what Corliss did here once again I mean it was a much smaller sample size because there's 50 laps the tire wear isn't as much here this was more of a patience deal from Jason Corliss just he, he could have, like you said, he could have taken it three wide there, mm -hmm. but he didn't have to because he knew that he had a car that was good enough um, to wait it out and make the move the safe and the right way, and that's exactly what he did. And he won the race and tied Nick Sweet um, for second all-time in uh, late model wins at Thunder Road. So, uh, bravo, Jason Corliss. That's all I've got to say about that. I mean, well, what a show. Um, and uh, – 
the rest of the field got put on notice by Corliss, and I'm sure that uh, you know those other 20 guys are going to come out uh, hungry and uh, looking for a win uh, coming up this week for Community College of Vermont night. But uh, great night for the late models at Thunder Road, um, and uh, you know it was. I got to do two races on Thursday from from the broadcast booth for WDEV, and they were two of the best races of the season. Uh, Dustin, I'm not sure, you know, with you, uh, dot, you know, finding interviews and, and running the running the pits, how much of that Tiger race you got to see oh, uh, or I the saw end of it? all that Tiger race, buddy. That was the race I was watching. That was my um, – so um, <clears throat> I don't know what your plans were for the show, but I was going to spend most of my time talking about the Tiger race tonight because there was a lot of interesting subplots going into that Tiger race. So – Setting this up beforehand, you know, it was, uh, let me pull the tiger standings up. I have them. The tiger standings, it's, it's a, it's a seven point, um, it's seven points right now between first and second points wise. Um, just, just very tight at the top, but that win for Mike Bilodeau, you know, that was a good win for him. And that was a, that battle i got the last couple of laps i captured on my phone i didn't upload it anywhere yet because you know i just i just had it but it that was just a really fun battle that was such a fun battle um that was a fun race that was a fun battle you had comers you had goers you had a lot of unpredictability you know you had a couple you had a couple of cautions I, that was the race of the night that was the race i watched the most of i would say and i am just like I love the Tigers, man. Like, I love the Tigers. <laughs> I think that is slowly becoming my favorite division of racing that I watch anywhere because it really does feel like if you nail the setup, you can you can drive away with it. But going, going back to what I was going to say, the Tigers were held after the driver's meeting to talk about the tires. And after that conversation, I was just really interested because it, it there, there's the subplot there. And I don't know how you want to set this up, Nick. Um, stop me if I'm rambling, but, you know, the tires have been a conversation topic. And you could definitely tell that with the Tigers, you know, it, it changed a little after the driver's meeting. So um, I don't know what you what do you want to say about the Tigers, but I'll, I'll come in after you say what you want to say. About yeah, no. So um, I, I'd like you to enlighten me if if you're able to share um what was said in the tigers meeting because i or the the drivers meeting after after there where they they held the tigers i had to get back up to the booth um but so i didn't get to stick around i i'm assuming you did i'd i'd like to know um and and i guess if you can share that to the public eye uh, which i would assume you would be able to um what what was said in that in that drivers meeting that well the the first thing i want to say is that Having Chris Michard, you know, having Chris be the track owner, I think adds a really good element to when drivers complain about something because Chris has driven it, right? Like he's driven at Thunder Road. Like he know he knows, like he knows how tires work. He knows how the track works. He knows how it's racing. You know, you're not going to pull a fast one on this dude, right? Because he knows what he's doing. So after, um, you know, everyone left, you know, Chris was like, all right, we're keeping the Tigers behind. And the first thing I noticed is that uh, even if you wanted to get a different tire, you're not going to get a different tire. Like the American racers are having problems making tires. Like they're apparently, 
you know, they're apparently really struggling as far as like putting a quality, putting a product out there, regardless of a quality product. And, you know, Chris gave the tiger drivers kind of the business and was like, hey, guys, yeah, you're race car drivers. And this is a racing tire. Like, I guess the American racer tire was a DOT tire before that you could just like drive right down the road. And it wasn't, you know, a specialty soft racing tire. And these Hoosiers are soft tires. And the Tigers are, are driving faster. Like they're driving, you know, a couple of tenths faster. I think it was like three, fourth tenths. I think, you know, it's like, this is the fastest they're running. And Chris, you know, basically sat down and was like, look guys, this is a racing tire. You're going to have to adjust your driving style. There's really not much we can do. You want to put restrictor plates on the car? We can like, you know, because these drivers, you know, had mentioned, and there's another thing to mention after this interview that I'll get after that I'll get to after the race because I was talking to the uh, driver of the HTO car, and I asked him straight up what he thought of the tires. But so Chris basically sat everyone down and was like, "Hey man, not everybody's chunking tires. Some of you are blowing them. Um, you're gonna have to adjust the setups of your car. You're gonna have to maybe drive slower. You're gonna have to accept that these are racing tires and you can't beat the piss out of them. And as a driver, it's on you to adjust to this type of thing because you know I've you know he talked about how he's adjusted to every. I think he listed every tire they've ever run at Thunder Road that he ran. <laughs> it was kind of um, it was really." It was really amazing. And, you know, he mentioned, hey, some of you haven't even turned your tires around yet. You know, the it, it was it was kind of like, a, hey, yeah, you got a racing tire. You kind of have to deal with it. You're faster. You know, change your setups, work on it, you know, and, and race differently. And I really liked how he sat down and was like, this is this is what's going on. And he did a really good job of like saying hey we called american racer hey we called hoosier and you know one of the drivers asked if hoosier was having problems and he's like no these are being run nationwide like you know nobody nobody's having problems with hoosier tires nationwide like this is literally a it's a track issue you know it's one of those things where yeah your cars are running faster your cars are not you know you're not used to running the cars as fast you're going to have to learn how to drive it so i was definitely watching the tiger race going into that because you know, he, it's just, I'm looking at my notes here, you know, because, you know, some of the drivers were mad, and they had a valid reason to be mad, we talked about it last week, how, you know, the tires are really a point of contention and conversation, but, you know, there really isn't anything you can do outside of changing the way you run the cars, right, like, you have a faster tire, you have a racing tire, you have to adjust, you know, if you're going to put too much load on them, there's really nothing you can do about it so that's a really interesting conversation because you know normally when you go to a driver meeting especially at a short track you know especially at a weekly show I don't really remember things that change you know I don't know how many drivers meetings you've been in on Nick but it's like you know even at the NASCAR tracks like it's basically the same all right this is it you know the deal this is it don't be stupid have fun out there Maybe they make a couple of tweaks to race control because, you know, race control can never be perfect, right? So things have to be changed. But this was actually a really in-depth, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes where Chris, you know, slated it all out, explained it, and was like, this is what we can do. This is, you know, he, he did mention he didn't promise anything. And he was really big on not promising anything. But, you know, they might add another, you know, might be able to buy another tire when the next shipment comes in, you know, add tire inventory. But he was very hesitant to be like, I'm not promising this. 
but maybe we add another tire that everyone can buy, you know, as far as, you know, an extra set, you know, you get extra sets or something like one tire, you know, extra tire. So, um, but it was really interesting because I don't remember after that conversation, I didn't think a lot of tires blew Thursday night. It was no longer really an issue that I remember seeing. I don't know what you saw in the booth, but like most, you know, we really didn't, I really think the tire issue came down to the fact that these cars are running faster and these drivers are adjusting to this and maybe they blew some things out by accident, but um, I was just, I was amazed by this. So this, this race, so we lead into that race, Nick. And what did you see up in the radio booth? Yeah. So, um, I mean, yeah, great, great explanation. Thank you for that for, um, you know, most of our listeners aren't going to be down at the driver's meeting um, and, you know, being able to hear that, you know, this is a problem that the track has addressed. Um, and so that, I think, is the most important part uh, because there was legitimate concern, um, you know, and it is a learning period. It is a, um, you know, there's going to be trial and error and the drivers are going to have to like, like Chris said, you know, the drivers are going to have to learn how to race on the tire, uh, to where the tire lasts. And, um, you know, we saw wheels breaking. Uh, I think the, the 100 lap race on, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago for the, uh, triple crown was a big sign of that because, you know, that at this point we're seeing long distance races where your equipment is really, you know, taking a little bit of a beating more so than you would see, in a 40 lap feature. Um, and so I think that that is where the majority of the concern came from. Um, a lot of people seeing Jason Woodard blow out a wheel and other people blow out, we blow out wheels because, um, you know, and, and then saying that, you know, it was because of the tires and then a lot of internet discussion about how the tires weren't good and how, you know, everything is going on and, and the drivers are upset and the fans are upset and so I'm glad that that Chris kind of uh, addressed this um, because it was, you know, not getting out of hand, but it was something that probably should have been addressed. And so I'm glad that he did that. Um, and I think, you know, while it was a 40 lap feature race and not 100 laps, which is a big difference, obviously, when we're talking about, you know, uh, the wear and tear on the equipment, I think that, you know, we saw a good enough uh, showing from these guys i can't remember any certain occasions where we were having dealing with big tire blowouts or wheel blowouts and mm -hmm. um so you know maybe they learned something uh from that driver's meeting maybe they took something away from it or maybe it was just a 40 lap race so we didn't see um you know enough wear and tear on the cars um at you know over and over again you know going through the corners a hundred times um to cause any uh any issues so you know i guess we'll see triple crown race number two is coming up in i believe three weeks so um you know that's uh that's i, I guess when we will know for sure uh but until then i think that you know we're hoping and the track is hoping and i'm sure the drivers are hoping that this issue is uh if not resolved on its way to being resolved and um you know it's certainly uh certainly didn't come into play on thursday night when really we saw i think that it was uh the best tiger race of the year so far uh with mike billadu and and stephen martin and uh all those guys just kind of going at it sam karen made a great run up through the field rob gordon was right there in the h2o uh and uh i mean just 
a great race door banging physical tough i mean everything people come to watch for uh in the tiger division was on display and, and mike billadu got a really hard fought victory so i want to talk about rob gordon there for a second because at the end of the race you know mike billadu it's small team so i'm waiting for him to tech his car because he's teching his car you know it's him and two three other people because that's a really small team so i ask rob i'm like so what do you think of the tires you know, just open-ended, give me an open-ended question. He's like, I love them. You know, he loves them because he said he can, he can run these things. I asked him how many laps he had in them. He's like, oh, I've run these for, you know, I think 150, 200, 300, 300 laps or something. And he mentioned, it's like, he loves how you can go out there a couple of laps, get heat in them, run fast. And that's another thing I've heard about these things is that the heat cycles in these tires are a lot more friendly to, I think, veteran drivers in the sense of it's like, you go out there, you get your practice laps. And a big thing that Rob mentioned to me that I didn't think about before is that like he ran out and he just, you know, beat the piss out of his practice tire. He went out and said, how, how hard can I push this? How many laps can I push this? Can I junk it? You know, he said, you know, he junked it, you know, he to clean it up a little bit you know he junked his stuff trying to figure out what the limit of this tire was but you know he said you know he went out and he's like look i gotta i gotta figure it out you know like i went out there and i figured it out and he said you know it's a little he's, he thinks it's kind of cheaper he, he made it sounded like it was cheaper because you know he knew that he didn't have to run this tire as much he doesn't have to spend as much gas he doesn't put as much wear and tear in his car because unlike the american racers which from everybody i've talked to were just hockey bucks right like glorified hockey bucks this tire is again it's a racing tire and it's a tire where you go in you do your you know you do a small amount of practice laps you get a couple heat cycles on them and then you can run them and he showed me his tire and he's like this is the wear of my tire and i looked at it i'm like this is pretty decent like so i think really i think i think going back to that pre-race drivers meeting you know i think chris really hit the nail on the head with a it's a how you drive it thing right because I'm, I'm pretty sure not every single driver has gone out there and run their practice tires to the point where, you know, they junk it. This makes sure, okay, this is the limit. This is the line. So, you know, we'll see how this progresses during the season. But it was really interesting to hear, you know, how a veteran driver too, you know, Robbie Gordon, he's been there for a while, right? Like he's, he's raced multiple tires at that track. So to hear his input on that, you know, where it's like, this is, I like it, you know, you just got to, you got to know how to drive it. You know, he basically echoed some of what Chris said was basically like, look, it's in the driver's hands, right? This is tire management is driver's skill. And I think one of the cool things about having a new tire like this for the flying tigers is now you add this, you know, you add this thing of driver's skill into it. You know, you have to know how to manage tires at every level of racing. And so it was really interesting just to hear Rob's thoughts on that after and how, you know, he likes it because he, you know, it's racing better for him. It's racing cheaper for him. And he's figured it out because he went and took the first couple of practices of the year to just beat the piss out of it and figure it out. Yeah. And I mean, Rob Gordon is uh, a guy I've gotten to know pretty well over the course of our time working at the track. Um, and, uh, you know, he is about as knowledgeable as it gets. Mm -hmm. now he is relatively new to thunder road um he is a multi-time track champion in the renegade division which uh is basically or was basically the equivalent of the flying tigers at airborne when it was a paved track so when airborne turned over to dirt again uh rob decided that rather than going to dirt he was going to come to thunder road and race 
um, and he has done very well. As he, I mean, he hasn't done as well as he did at, at Airborne, but um, you know, the Tiger Division right now at Thunder Road is among the most competitive for um, for what most of the country calls street stocks in the entire country. Um, and so, I, I mean, Rob goes out and he has been racing for a very long time. He knows the ins and outs uh, of these cars like few others. Um, and, you know, he is out there. He's not out there to go and, you know, be ultra competitive and get mad at people and, and start problems. He, and you see anybody who's looked at the back of the H2O car, it says having fun. And that's exactly what Rob Gordon's doing. That's the only reason why he shows up to the racetrack um, is to go have fun and try to win races. And, uh, you know, he knows as much as anybody. I mean, anyone who's looking, uh, and I'm glad that you talked to him, Dustin, because, uh, you know, there's few people in the garage area that are as knowledgeable mm -hmm. as Rob Gordon. Um, and, you know, it doesn't always show on the on the uh, scoreboard for him or the... the um, the finishing results but it did this week he was p3 um and he he pulled another veteran move as well i mean it didn't quite work out for him this week but the way that he rode in third place um while billadu and stephen martin uh were just hammering it out at each other um in those final 15 laps was it it showed a lot of experience and um patience again from rob gordon uh, something that we're used to seeing from him. Um, and while the two leaders didn't wreck each other, Rob knew that if there was contact between them, they were both going to the back and uh, he would inherit the lead. And so, you know, I'm telling you, it was, it was closer than you would think contact wise. You know, I have the video of those last, you know, I'd say three, four laps. And, you know, Rob really put himself in a good situation because I legitimately thought those leaders were going to wreck each other. Like I thought they were going to, you know, turn each other and that was going to be game over and h2o is going to be in victory lane he said of himself you know he's talked about it right after the race he's like oh i thought you guys were going to get each other you know he he made a joke with mike about it he was like oh i thought you know i thought i was going to win that race um but you know veteran move riding around there and letting those guys fight it out yeah absolutely and um you know stephen martin was going for that win he wanted it bad uh, but Mike Billadu also hasn't won in a while. Mike Billadu wanted that win pretty bad too. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it became very clear that Mike Billadu was going to do any anything and everything to keep the nine car behind him. And that is exactly what he did. I mean, Billadu was fighting a really, really loose race car off of corner exit there in those last 15 or so laps. Um, you know, there was the, the time coming. I mean, Billadu on the last restart of the race, spun the tires, got the car loose. Steven almost took the lead and, and cleared him. Um, but Mike kept fighting. They got to the, they came out of turn four a couple laps later and Mike got loose, slid up into Steven and they, it looked like they were both going to crash, but they both saved it. And Mike came out in front and then, you know, Steven's in there. He's be beating the back bumper off of the eight car, uh, gets underneath him down the front stretch and Mike Billadu just kind of runs into him and runs him down a little bit and uh, throws a little bit of a, I'm not clear, but I'm going to block you anyways block. And Steven almost, he goes through the front stretch grass, keeps it going, stays out of Mike on the end of turn one. Um, I mean, that was as good as it gets. And, mm -hmm. you know, it was great driving by Mike Billadu and by Steven Martin, and especially by Steven knowing 
that, you know, because it got to the point there at the end where Steven had to have been pretty hot in that car, uh, you know, saying, all right, I've been blocked pretty aggressively um, by this guy now two, three times in these last 10 laps. I just want to try to make a clean pass for the win. But Mike Billadou threw that out the window um, and was you know, going to win at all, all, all things possible. But Steven did a great job maintaining his composure in those last 10 laps uh, when, you know, he was getting run all over the place and staying out of the 80 of the eight car and, you know, keeping them both going straight because uh, they knew, especially Steven's got to know in that situation. And he did know in that situation, even the slightest bit of contact that spins the eight car out, that means they're both going to the back and it's going to cost Steven a podium finish and uh, really damper his season points wise. Um, so, you know, end of the day, P2 is not what Steven Martin wanted there. I know he was uh, he was pretty, pretty bummed out. I guess he was he wasn't like furious. He was a little bit aggravated, I think, as soon as he got out of the car. Um, and uh and, but at the end of the day, going back, I'm pretty sure Steven Martin's going to be happy about a P2 and his second podium finish of the season. So, um, you know, he's setting, he's developing in the early stages of this year a run that could be capable of getting himself a championship here just a couple of years after he uh, after he won the street stocks. So, um, great run in the Tiger race. I mean, that was uh, that's the racing you pay to see, Dustin. Um, you don't, don't get much better than the battle that we saw between Mike Billadou and Steven Martin and the Tigers and, uh, battles like that are why a lot of people say that the Tigers are the, uh, the number one division at Thunder Road right now. Yeah. I just watched it again. I, uh, I'm just still amazed. I, I, I pulled it up on my phone as we're talking here and I was just like, that was sure, sure a battle. That was for sure a battle. It was a lot of fun and like I said, I think the Tigers are my favorite division at Thunder Road right now. You get beaten and banging, you get drivers. Uh, they 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 went for it, and you know, uh, Mike was not moving. He was not moving from that lane unless if you moved him, and you knew if you moved him, both of you would go to the back. So figure that one out, and he did, and good finish, and hopefully get something again like that this week. All right, so before we move on from Thunder Road and out of the American Canadian Tour, which held their event in Hudson this weekend, uh, let's go to our guest for the evening. Uh, he is the uh, driver of the number 04 uh, AH Fence Company, uh, late model at Thunder Road. He, uh, he's uh, having a pretty good sophomore season. Uh, it's Matthew Smith, so let's move it on over now uh, to Matt Smith. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Inside Groove podcast presented by Raised Dyes and Tubing. Time to welcome on this week's guest for the show. It is the driver of the number 04 late model for Arnie Hill in the uh, Maplewood Irving Oil late models at Thunder Road. He's in his second season. He currently sits eighth in the point standings through three races. It's Matt Smith. Matt, how are we doing, man? Doing good, man. Glad to be on the show. Always, uh, always a pleasure to come talk to you. Well, it's always a pleasure to talk to you as well, and we thank you for joining me kind of on short notice today as we kind of scrambled to, to grab a guest for this week's episode. But I think you got a lot of insight to share, and it's our, our first time kind of catching up with you now into your uh, second season. So uh, we're excited to get to talk to you today. Uh, we'll get right into it here. Um, first question, I mean, you guys have, you guys have been consistently – 
in and around the top 10 this year. I, I think we've seen some, some major gains uh, from, from last year. Um, so how, how would you describe the uh, first three races of the season for you guys? I mean, they've, they've been good. Um, I mean, I've, I struggle with where we've been finishing. Um, I'm not going to complain with the top 10. I just know that we're capable of doing better. Um, but I'm happy where we're at. Uh, we left last year with a lot of speed. Um, I knew hopefully that we would come back this year with that same speed. And, and so far we have been, um, I'm impressed with the car count last year. We struggled with car count and we hung out towards the end, like the back of the field. Um, and this year we have pretty decent car count and we're still managing to run in the top 10. Um, so definitely happy where, where we are at this year. Um, and definitely looking forward to get on with the rest of the year and hopefully get a little bit better as we go. Yeah. And I mean, there's obviously a like growing process to go from, you know, being a rookie in the late models to kind of getting yourself going. And I think that we've seen that, like I said, but, um, yourself, I mean, what kind of gains have, have you noticed yourself making as a driver? And then I guess the same question for your team, what kind of, as an overall group, what kind of gains have you made as you, you know, spend more time and get more reps, uh, going to the track every Thursday? I mean, for me, I think the gains are just being more comfortable running, um, up front with people. Um, I, I can run the outside now. Um, before I was pretty hesitant to get to the outside and I would just end up following the tracks of people that I would end up catching. And I don't know why I did that, but that's something that I knew I had to work on that just because I caught them. I, I still need to get around them. I can't just run with them. Um, so that's, that's one thing that I've definitely gotten better at. I'm just carrying the momentum that I'm, that I have and being able to try to get, um, a better finishing uh, spot than where we have been last year. But on like a more of a driver's note, just my feedback, I think, to my crew has been way better. Um, as I get more comfortable with the car, I know what I want. I know what I want the car to be doing. And, and I want and I know how I want the car to drive. Um, so being being more comfortable this year has helped so much um, on the crew side. I think last year, my explanation of what the car was doing was extremely confusing and they didn't know what to do with that information um this year i think i'm a little bit more precise and they're just able to my, my crew chief andrew is man he's amazing um he can take my information and, and he runs with it um and very rarely does his changes hurt the car um they always seem to be doing better and super thankful for that um so i think just this year the biggest improvement is just how the team operates and and how we're able to work with each other yeah i mean you talk about your crew chief andrew i mean you guys have been working together for a really long time now um as you you know keep going in this late model division do you kind of see that chemistry starting to grow between you two yeah i mean it's always been there we've always shared like the same love for cars um and my dad was a mechanic for 27 years and still tankers obviously on the car so like i had that passion um, and then being able to find a friend at a young age that shared that same passion was huge. So just being able to like, we've just always been close when it comes to cars. So even in the street stock days, like it was really cool to be able to have someone my age that I could bounce ideas off from. And, and he would equally, he would pick my brain and we'd sit there. And I mean, that's why we were so good in the street stocks is we were just constantly thinking um, about how to get the car quicker and, and what we could do um, within the rules. And it, it's really just, opened the book has just opened that much more with the late models there's that much more we can do and and andrew really is taking it on himself to just learn everything he can um he's constantly asking other people that know more than us questions um and just picking people's brains and 
he's taken it and he's running with it and it, it's awesome to see you know going back i guess to the end of last year into the off season you know a lot has changed for you in your life away from the track you know you get married get a house you know you're starting your the the whole adult life thing um you know kind of take us back through this off season you, are, are you like thinking about racing every day working on trying to how, how to get better or did you kind of just t- take some time off and, and enjoy uh, and enjoy this kind of the, the big steps in life that you've been able to take the last couple of years man that, that's a challenging question um it, it's it's hard to be able to balance uh like work life uh life at the house personal life and racing all in one um I mean, obviously we're going to do it just because that's what drivers do. But when you have such a passion towards racing, um, like most of us drivers do it, it's hard to put that on the back burner at times. Um, so it, it's hard to separate yourself from wanting to be at the shop to wanting to be with the team. I mean, even the nights when you're not working in the car, but just the nights that you're there with the team, um, those are some of the most memorable moments. So it, it's hard to separate yourself from that. Uh, but, but we've been doing pretty good. Um, the house has been keeping me busy. Uh, we've, I've done a lot of things, um, from carpentry to electrical to things that I didn't know that I knew how to do, but glad that I do. (laughs) And then obviously just trying to balance that with still being able to spend time with the family. Um, my siblings are all, all a little bit older than me and they all have kids now. So trying to separate or trying to get away from the race car to go visit the nieces and the nephews are, it's hard, but it's, it's, it's awesome when I can get to go see them. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's, it's challenging, uh, but, uh, takes up a lot of time, but it's worth it, you know? Yeah, for sure. So another change from last year was uh, obviously we talked about it in, uh, prior episodes that we've had you on, but, um, you and DJ Shaw obviously shared that Oh four car, uh, last year, the one that you're driving this year, this year, DJ goes out and they, they've got a brand new car built up for the American Canadian tour. Um, for you on your weekly stuff, now that you're the only one that drives that car, um, kind of take us through the differences of it. Is it positive? Uh, because you know, you're the only one that's in it and you're able to set it up how you like it and keep it that way. Or has it been uh, more of a challenge with, you know, DJ not in there to kind of give feedback to you as well as a younger driver? No, I personally, I think it's been better. Um, especially just for the dynamic at the shop. I think before last year, I mean, anytime you ask, another car um to the garage it makes it a little bit more challenging but i feel like in the end though it's really been paying off for us because instead of having to turn around a car quickly um, because i would race it thursday and sometimes we'd be racing it saturday or sunday or whatever it was and we have a little bit more time to just focus on one car now um last year obviously me and dj are i'm a little bit taller and i'm apparently a little bit fatter <laughs> but <laughs> the, the seat was just a little bit different and, and um, the headrest was a little bit different. So I would have to go in and change out the seat, not like the whole seat, but just some of the inserts and stuff for me. Um, and then same thing with the headrest. So it was just like the little things having to change the car around week in and week out for me and DJ. Um, I still get that same feedback because we're, we're still tour racing with them. Um, obviously the cars age wise are different. Um, so they're not set up the same, but driving like obviously driver pointers that he can give me, um, still transfer over to this car. So I don't say I, I get to, I, I didn't lose anything, um, by adding another car. If anything, it's, it's just helped the team be able to, um, negotiate running two competitive seasons. So last week, we'll, we'll talk about this here for a second. Last week, 
Thunder Road, really. Um, it, it seemed like it was one lane for, well, just about everybody except for Jason Corliss, apparently. Um, but, you know, it, for most of the night, it was really a one lane racetrack. But other nights will show up there and it'll be side by side racing all night long. The outside might even be a little bit better than the inside. How do you as a driver manage that? Um, you know, how early are you able to pick it up? Do you guys predict that? And how does that change your strategy when, you know, you see when you're able to notice that, you know, okay, tonight's the track, the track is only going to be running well on the inside, or, you know, we're going to have a two lane racetrack tonight and we'll be able to make plays on the outside as well. Yeah, it, it's challenging. Uh, the track is extremely different. There's no way to like pinpoint what it's going to do. Um, it, it's weird. You would think that it shouldn't change as much as it does week in and week out but i don't think i've ever really been to the track and it's always consistently the same throughout the night um so trying to pinpoint exactly where to be running it, it it's just kind of a feeling thing um I, you can start out the day and know like in practice how the bottom's supposed to feel um because everybody normally in practice will be running there and in practice you'll try to run the outside a little bit just to see if there is anything there and sometimes there isn't um so you just go into the future thinking like we're going to run the bottom and sometimes it's middle of the feature. Normally you don't move up until either your spotter tells you like, Hey, people moved up and they gained time on you. Um, or you're starting to go backwards and you're searching around. You're just trying to find that grip. You're trying to find that extra edge um, to, to keep the car under you. Um, so it, it's, it's really a guessing game. There's as you, as we're putting more time, or at least for us, I mean, cause we're still new to this, you know, um, some teams like Jason and them who have been here for a while can kind of predict what the track's going to do because they've been, they've turned so many laps there. Um, so for us, it's, it's a little bit of a guessing game. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not amazing. I'm not an amazing driver, you know, like I wish I could be like Dale Earnhardt and hear the air, but I can't tell you what the track's going to do on any given day. Um, I have an idea of what it's going to do by looking at the weather and, and seeing how drastically it cools down and, or if it's going to stay hot throughout the night, but it, it, it's kind of a guessing game for me. Um, and I, I rely on my spotter. Uh, when other people start to move up, I, like I'll ask for him. I'll be like, Hey, what are people doing? Where are people running? Like, I feel like we're struggling right now. Like what are other people doing? And, and he'll be able to relay that information. And sometimes I can move up and I get faster or sometimes I move up and actually get slower. Um, last week I felt like I couldn't, we were good for the first 30 laps and then, the car just tightened up uh, real bad and we, we dropped quick. We got up to like fourth or fifth and then we fell back to 10th. Um, so it, it was hard. I mean, it, it was a one lane track for a little bit. Um, and then I started bringing the inside line backwards and everybody, everybody moved up. <laughs> but uh, no, it, it's, it's a challenge um, to try to pinpoint what it's going to do, but uh, I don't know <laughs> who knows what it's going to be uh thursday when we show up and who knows what it's going to be the following week i guess yeah i guess that is the the challenge and the beauty of it at the same time and why it makes the uh division as a whole so competitive is the uh is how much it changes and it's it really is kind of crazy that's one of the one of the things that i never really picked up as a, on as a fan until i you know started going to the track and, and being there every week and seeing you guys and hearing you guys talk about it as drivers and it's crazy to see how much it changes uh week in and week out i don't think that there's another track like that around it's kind of a unique quirk of it yeah i mean it's it, the more i go to these act races like i i almost tend to agree with you like it is weird how how different thunder road 
like it's a unique track within itself, obviously. Um, and, and it's proven it, you know, people that run their weekly are going to do better than people that don't run their weekly. Um, and it's, that's not like the same around other tracks, you know, people that can run Thunder Road can go to these other tracks and normally be competitive. Um, so it, it's weird how, and, and I think because of how often Thunder Road changes, I think that's what makes us not better drivers, but just more prepared for these changes. Um, just because we're on our toes constantly when we go to Thunder Road, whether it's between the racing because of the competitor, like how competitive the field is or because the track's changing, like we are just constantly on our, our toes. Um, and I think that gives us like a competitive edge compared to some of the others around the New England um, racing scene. So I have a question for you um, about the, the points. Uh, so I've almost gotten to the point where I, I don't ask drivers about the point situation until like the last week because every single time the answer is the same and it's we don't pay attention to the points. Do drivers actually pay attention to the points or are they just saying that? I, I mean, I can't tell you I pay attention to it this early in the season. Like I'll look at them um, just to kind of – I don't know. Like if I'm feeling down someday, I'll go look and I'll be like, Hey, we're in the top 10. Like, that's great. But then like, that's quickly followed with, we still have half a season in front of us. Like we, we could end up last. <laughs> um, so I, I, I do believe most drivers like we'll look at it. Like there, there's no way we're not going to look at it. Cause we're all competitive. Like we all want to know where we stack up to people. Um, Jason Corliss probably doesn't look at it. <laughs> he just but, uh, knows. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. He's got drag. Well, dragon with the dq that hurt but i mean he's got dragon and pelty um they're all quick this year so it's to say there's some people that are already saying it you know like it, it's jason's championship this year and for people to write off the rest of the competition it's it's almost a slap in the face just because things change quickly um with racing and it, it that's like that throughout the whole country but at thunder road it's been proven time and time again that things happen quick and things change week in and week out uh, whether it's the track or or points um, so I'm looking forward to see what the rest of the season brings, not just for us, but just to see who else like, um, gets quicker throughout the season. It, it always seems like there's that one team that struggles in the beginning, but by mid season, like you, you never really saw them up front and then they're constantly there. So it's always fun to see who's going to start coming from the back and I'm looking forward to it. So bottom line, how close do you guys think? think that that your team is to getting that first win i know you guys came super close a couple times last year milk bowl you had a really really fast car uh who knows what would have happened if it wasn't for segment two how close do you think that you guys are man i think we're close um i'm looking forward to getting rid of the set of tires that we were just on i'm looking forward to this thursday and being able to buy four new ones um the last two weeks we've been extremely quick uh we've we've been able to run up well, the last two weeks we've been able to run up to the top five um it seems like that lap 30 mark though the tires would just they've been inconsistent um normally we have a pretty good idea of what they're going to do um but this set two weeks ago the front shrunk and the rears grew um and we got very loose two weeks ago um and dropped back to i think it was eighth um, last week we were extremely fast we charged up to fifth again and i thought we had something for the front runners and then on that lap 30 restart, the car got extremely tight, which was completely opposite from two weeks ago. Um, and the rears shrunk this time and the fronts grew. So I'm sitting, we didn't change really much anything. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to getting rid of the set of tires. I, I, 
I'm hoping I'm going to try to blame it on the tires just because it's the only thing that I want to blame right now. <laughs> so I'm, I'm hoping with a, if we can get a more consistent set of tires, I, I think we're close. Um, I really do. That speed that we carried out of last year is, is definitely still there this year. Um, I'm finally, it takes me a couple of races to get really comfortable with the car, um, to be able to race around other people without just absolutely destroying things. Uh, so <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to this Thursday because I'm, I'm comfortable. The team's getting more comfortable and, and we still have that speed. Um, and, and I'm, I'm hungry for a win. I, I want it bad. Uh, the team wants it bad. Arnie every week, um, for the last four weeks now has just been like, man, it'd be cool if we can add a trophy. And he just keeps kind of jabbing that in there. So the fact that the team's ready for it, the team's hungry, like it just adds that much more to me, um, to really want to get it done for them. So we'll, we'll end it on uh, kind of a more fun, fun question here for you. Um, so I, I know you're a big rally car fan and this is something we've kind of been talking about a little bit, especially with Connor Martell in the, in the garage area the last couple of weeks, you know, coming over from the rally car scene. I, I know you're a big, big fan into it. You've worked a, a couple of races, um, you know, way on down the line when maybe you're not driving late models anymore at Thunder Road. Could you see yourself kind of getting into some sort of role in rally in, in rally and whether it's, you know, driving a car? I don't know how difficult it is to get into one of those things. Pro probably pretty difficult um, or, you know, working in the sport at all, because yeah, I know you're super into it. I mean, every time Vermont sports car has like a job listing, um, it is hard for me to not apply um there's been a couple of times that i've pretty much filled out everything and just didn't hit the apply button just because like i i do i like i'll take the step back i'm like man do i really want to change what i'm doing like i would love to go work for them um and, and in a lot of ways i would say it's worth the pay cut if there is one i, I don't know because i've never interviewed I've, I've i don't know what i'd make there um but just the thought of being able to work on the cars um to get my foot in the door because I mean, ideally, I want to drive them. I, I think I have the talent for it. I, I think I have the capability to do it. Um, it it's something that I've always wanted to do. Um, so I think the easiest way to get into it is with the cool thing with rally is you get a shell of the car and you get the right cage welded into it. It has to be done by a professional. It's not like the Enduro where I can just weld it myself and call it good. Apparently, they don't actually want us crashing into trees at 80 miles an hour with a cage I welded. <laughs> so but i think the easiest thing would just be to build the car and start it there um, and get my foot in the door there obviously i need to find a co-driver that's willing to sit passenger with me driving through the woods um i, I think my crew chief and spotter andrew would probably be the guy willing to do it i think because <laughs> because he loves rally as much as i do i mean i started doing all this stuff with him and one of our other friends so it would be cool in the future to really think that that's where I could end up. Um, again, like I said, if Vermont sports car, maybe someday I will finally just finally send it and just <laughs> click that submit and see where it brings me. Um, or maybe somehow I just become really good friends with Carter Martell and he, he can get me in there. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'll give him extra room on the track just so maybe that friendship can grow. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. It, it would be cool. <laughs> Well, Matt, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us here tonight, and uh, I mean, we know Thursday's coming up pretty soon. This will this will drop on uh, on Wednesday, recording this Tuesday night. So I know you guys got some work to do on the car, and uh, we'll have it ready for 
for a Thursday night, and we'll see if you can go out there and, and get career victory number one. So uh, I'm sure sure we'll talk to you soon, and uh, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Nick. All right, well, a good talk there with uh, Matt Smith, as always, one of the uh, better-spoken drivers in the Thunder Road garage area. Uh, he's a great kid. I mean, well, he's not a kid anymore. We talked about it. He's, he's married now, got a house, got the whole nine yards going on for him. But, uh, you know, Matt is uh, Matt's doing great, and I'm sure that first win is, uh, is coming up for him pretty soon here, Dustin. He's been looking good to start off the year. Yeah, great dude. Always fun to talk to at the track. He's... I, he'll break through at some point, right? They all do. It feels like, you know, we have had, uh, we're going to go to ACT talk here in a second where we've had a lot of breakthroughs this year, but you know, always good. And we enjoy having drivers on, you know, we enjoy having track personalities on. It's a lot of fun. And I think the coolest thing about local racing is the local aspect of it, right? Like, you know, you have a, we, we see Aaron, in the press box at white mountain and he's like i'll do the podcast and you have him on like the very next day it's a really cool thing and i love it and i love getting anybody we can ever get on this podcast on it and as always all of our guests on the inside group podcast are brought to you by fast one motorsports in middlesex they've got whatever you might need for race parts and accessories give them a call at 802-223-5888 stop by and see pete today to help you Bring home the checkered flag tomorrow. So, Dustin, we talk about breakouts in the American Canadian Tour. Um, I think there's no breakout bigger than the one that we're seeing right now um, by Tom Carey third, who uh, now after five events in the 2021 point-counting season, five of 12 events are in the books. TC3 has the points lead for the first time in his career. TC3 with the two-point points lead. You want to talk about a good points battle coming through. It is the ACT Tour. You know, you got Tom Carey, you got Ben Rowe, you got DJ Shaw, and all three separated by 16 points, a bunch of ACT races to go. But this has just been Tom Carey's year. You know, he's coming out with that bright yellow. What, what color is that card, Nick? Is it bright yellow, neon green? What color do you think that car is? What is your official take on the color of that car? That car is, well, first of all, it's the most beautiful car on the American-Canadian Tour. And, I, believe, I agree with this. Yes, and um, it is a almost neon yellow, uh, like a very, very bright yellow, and a dark, dark black as you can get black. And they just complement each other so well. Uh, and then the old-style font on the 5, uh, I've been saying it for many years now, Tom Carey the third has always put together the uh best looking uh best looking cars on the tour and that that car they call the brookside ride uh that you know he has really uh really gotten out to a, a good start this year he had a couple of bad finishes there at thunder road and at lee uh outside the top 10 but he has been so good in the other races um i believe he's been first or second three times now this year um and yes three times this year he's finished first or second um and going back to oxford last year he finished second in that race he finished second at the thompson uh the thompson world series uh last year as well they've got it figured out right now they're on they're hitting their stride got his first win a couple weeks back at white mountain uh you know tom carey the third is putting on a clinic right now in the act and he's kind of come uh, to surprise uh, 
you know, guys like DJ Shaw, Ben Rowe, uh, obviously Jimmy Hebert's had the difficult year. He's 95 points back uh, after five races, something we were completely not expecting this year. Um, and DJ Shaw has not been quite up to the level that we thought we were going to see from him after we left New Hampshire. Um, even, you know, he got D even though he got DQ'd in that race, you know, he's got a win at Lee. Um, but he has not been the completely dominant car that I think we were expecting him to be this year after, you know, finishing second in points last season, getting the brand new car, uh, you know, the way that, uh, the, the Dale Shaw chassis have been racing, uh, you know, at Thunder Road, the brand new ones and all over the Northeast. Uh, I was, uh, kind of surprised right now. DJ Shaw only has one win and five tries. Um, but you know, he's only 16 points back. It's going to be a great battle. Ben Rowe has been in the top 10 in every race. He's finished second, third. He's finished just about everywhere in the top 10, except for first. So that win is coming up for Ben Rowe. Um, who last won at Oxford uh, to kick off or to close out the 2020 season. So Ben Rowe is right there. Stephen Donahue is not too far out from those guys either. Um, and uh, 29 points back for Stephen Donahue in fourth. He's been running consistently, uh, consistently well uh, over the entire season thus far. They've made a lot of gains in that car, and Stephen Donahue's made a lot of gains as a driver. I would be shocked if uh, he didn't get his first ACT win this year. Um, but it's just a great, great battle at the top of the point standings right now through five races. And how about Jimmy Renford Jr.? What a weekend he had. He That's wins, so cool to see. wins the feature at, uh, at White Mountain on Saturday, then goes out to Hudson on Sunday and, uh, and wins on Father's Day uh, in the car that his dad prepares um, and uh, gets it done for his first uh, career ACT victory. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's good stuff from Jimmy Renfrew. Uh, you know, that's a team that has kind of last year, they were nowhere close to winning a race. Um, and this year they've made a lot of big, big gains. Um, and you know, Renfrew is obviously known for, um, his, uh, street stock driving. Um, now that, and I mean that by like the, uh, the flying tiger type of a street stock, uh, over in New Hampshire very good in those cars and he's kind of almost reached that level again um in the late model as well we've seen a, lo a lot of improvement this year i think jimmy renfrew's been one of the, the, the bigger surprises of 2021 honestly yeah no he's been pretty good so far and i think i that that i really want to see how steven donahue plays it because right now he's fourth in the standings, right? He's got a pretty good lead on fifth, but he needs to take some big swings if he's going to get into this top three to have a chance at that championship. So I want to see how aggressive they get these next couple of races, because if anybody has the ability to just kind of send it for a win, it's that number two team because, you know, they can try it, you know, they can, they can try it and not really lose anything right now. And they have nothing but the gain. And then Ben Rowe, really surprising. He hasn't had a win yet. You know, he's just been so, consistent he's just mr consistency this year and then you know shaw i think if you take if you put the points from the dq back in he has the lead but again you know he's got a fast car he's only 16 now it'll be it's gonna be a pretty fun top four battle coming down the act summer stretch yeah it will and uh there's uh, some some big time races coming up, uh, you know, mid. Uh, I think Oxford is next on July 11th. So ACT once again with like a big three week layover, um, 
but you know the midsummer 250s coming up you know that is basically the act's uh points counting version of the milk bowl um and so you know that is uh that's a big 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 race coming up uh throughout the or coming up here in the next couple in the next month month and a half or so so um you know there's a lot coming up for the act we're reaching kind of the midpoint of this season and uh well i guess the next race will be the midpoint of the season it um, is but yeah i mean off to a really solid start tom carey and, and jimmy renford jr uh obviously finishing one one two in that race ben Rowe was third um you know they had a uh they're off to a, a really good start better than a lot of people expected better than i expected I thought for sure Tom Carey was going to be one of those guys that was battling for like third, fourth, fifth in the points this year. Um, but the la- the way he's run so far, it, it tells me he's a he's a true championship contender. They've made a lot of strides this year. And, and you talk about Stephen Donahue, what a kind of weird season for, they've had. Uh, five starts, they finished in the top ten four times, but they don't have a top five yet. Um, you know, they've kind of been marred from fifth to tenth so far this year. So you know they're right there they're kind of at like the same spot where tom carey was at last year and uh you know the way the act is going right now with jimmy hebert kind of out of things um it's wide open and mm-hmm. uh it's going to be one heck of a championship battle coming down and uh i think there's a there's a solid shot we see a new champion this year um in fact i don't think ben Rowe is an act champion i don't believe so i'll have to check that but um and, we'll get stats and info on it yeah i'll have to get i, I don't have that in front of me but um no it, i mean i think we're gonna see a new champion again this year for the for what would be the third straight season uh and that's great for the tour and another great thing for the tour last four races um out of four of the last five races i mean they've run five this year the last four have all seen seen first time winners you go back brooks clark at thunder road that was his um first act win um dj shaw believe it or not at lee when he got the dq when he was the uh, on the beneficiary of the dq that was his first career win tom carey got his first career win at white mountain last week and now jimmy renford jr gets his first career win so four straight races four new winners for the american canadian tour so uh pretty impressive stuff there um as always from the act so we're looking forward to the next race in oxford uh back in july or july 11th i believe that that one is um we'll see uh i, I think i'm planning on the go on going to that one i'll have to take a different route this time as many of you know i murdered a deer uh the last time i drove to oxford that was kind of frightening um as so many other people have hit some sort of large wildlife on their way to or from oxford um we'll see if i can make it next time with with no problem but uh, tempted to go to that one with you we'll see we'll see how the cards fall though but that'll be uh oxford's a beautiful track you got to get up there at some point i got to get up there at some point it's on my t- it's on my to track list yeah the drive is the drive is uh painful we'll put it that way it's it's four hours it does it, there's no fun part of it it's literally every single step of it is back roads you don't touch an interstate once for four hours um it's it's not fun at all to get there but once you're there man i mean the track is one of a kind it's a it's a great facility uh so much history there and uh 
yeah, so I'm excited. I want to get to the Oxford 250 there uh, for the first time in my life this year. That is on the uh, that's on the goals. Um, we didn't get in last year because of COVID, but I'm hoping to get to the 250 this year, and so maybe we'll make a couple trips out there this. Uh, We're gonna make some calls. Gonna call in some favors. Yeah, we'll see what we can do for now. But that's uh, that's all we got for you this week. Hope you guys enjoyed Matt Smith. Hope you guys enjoyed uh, me and Dustin rambling for the last hour or so. Um, I guess hour and a half with the uh, interview on there. But, um, yeah, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. As always, please, uh, if you if you support us, definitely leave uh, a, a, a good review for us on, on your podcast platform uh, and give us a subscribe as well. Uh, it means a whole lot to us to to see that uh, our work is getting out there and, uh, and love it being appreciated and um, you know we've had a couple I've had a couple of uh, folks come up to me at the track you know that is that's so cool to me to be able to see people um, you know that to put faces to the fans that are listening to to our show uh, it's it's so cool and I'd love to meet uh, anybody who who uh, listens to the show if you want to come we always say it come say hi. Uh, at the track we're always there um but you know it, it's so cool to see people that that listen to the show and and that just genuinely want to talk racing um and i'm always down to talk racing so same yeah <laughs> so everybody have a great rest of your week enjoy uh community college of vermont night on thursday marvin johnson memorial uh is uh coming up this week as well that that should be a fun race we're going to see a, a first time winner in the street stock division uh the yearly tradition um so excited for that race excited for thursday nights as always i'll be back in my regular role this uh this coming week so uh dustin can uh can come back and and, and get back focused on the photos maybe you want to do maybe you can steal a couple interviews from me I, I i'm actually not at the track this week because on friday night i am driving to long pond pennsylvania for the pocono doubleheader with a meteor credential so you're on your own this week nick ah i forgot about that so yeah dustin have fun at pocono we didn't even talk about that so dustin's gonna be covering a race for uh well partially for us at pocono so expect some nascar content on uh on the facebook twitter instagram pages over the next uh over the weekend and uh thursday i'll be at I'll be at Thunder Road, uh, I guess, solo with uh, with everything and get back into the grind of it after uh, doing the race on the radio last week, which was a lot of fun, by the way. I'm excited for the next one, which I, um, I believe is July 1st. I think that's I think the holiday spectacular. It's either that or the Triple Crown race is our next one. So um, You sounded good on the radio, by the way. I um, put in one of my ear pods and you know, tune into the feed. And I'm like, well, Nick does sound pretty good. So you did a fantastic job on that, man. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, but definitely I had a blast. Um, so I'm looking forward to doing it again. Um, you know, that it was really nerve wracking up until the start of it. And then I was like, Oh, I'm just calling a race. This is fun. So, um, yeah, it was an awesome job. The, you know, a huge shout out to, to everybody at WDEV who helped me out, you know, Steve Cormier, Brady Farkas, uh, and Lee Cattell who called the race with me, um, on, on Thursday. Uh, you know, those guys have, have helped me out, uh, tremendously and, you know, giving me this opportunity and, uh, allowing me to, to, giving me the the resources necessary to take it and uh do what i thought not to you know brag or toot my own horn but i i thought i did pretty well with it 
um, and had a lot of fun. And, you know, those guys allowed that to happen. So huge shout out to all the folks at WDEV who helped make that happen. And I'm excited for the next one. But that's all we got for you this week, Dustin and everyone listening. Dustin, like I said, have fun at Pocono. Thanks, sir. I will see many of you on uh, Thursday night at Thunder Road. So we'll see you then. Have a good week, everybody.